0: Welcome into the Husker 24-7 podcast. I am Mike Schaefer, joined by Michael Bruns, Brian Christopherson here on Wednesday afternoon. If you hear any snoring, that is Slider, who has uh, found a spot that he apparently really likes. Uh, he might be quite loud. I can kick him out if necessary. Um, but we'll see how that goes. Gentlemen, how uh, how is your weekend? Do you feel like you're fully into 2022? 2021 vibes are over, now it's all 2022 from here on out.
1: When I when I write my checks at the grocery store I have adjusted to writing 2022 for the year so I feel like I'm I'm up to speed now.
0: I don't believe that you actually write checks.
1: Yep, and I balance the checkbook right there. And you use coupons? Yeah. I'm, I'm a big big coupon clipper. I, I could
0: I could believe you being a coupon clipper. I really could. I don't believe you writing checks.
1: I, I put on the cheaters every time I get a CVS receipt and I look to see if there's some deals to be had on that five foot long receipt you get. So never miss an opportunity to save a dollar guys. That's, that's the uh, advice of the podcast today.
0: Well, that's good advice for the people. Good advice for the people. BC, how was your weekend?
2: Uh, it was good. I really got uh, captivated by, Week eighteen, I guess it would be of the of the NFL season. I was all in all Sunday on that, um, and it it was enough of uh, enough football for me that I decided to watch uh, City Slickers, which I'd never seen before. Kind of an odd choice on Monday night for the first three quarters of that game. So I, I I popped in for the fourth, but I guess you can call it Bama fatigue or whatever. But maybe it was just a want to see. Uh, the chemistry between uh, Billy Crystal and,
0: was that Daniel Stern, I
2: guess?
1: It is. It's a good movie. Yeah.
0: Well, so, BC, when's the last time that you watched from start to finish a full national championship game? Oh. Because it's insane. been years. I feel like you've been out on, on this for years now. Is
2: this like an annual
0: conversation I have, how I didn't watch it? I'm one of those guys who likes to brag about not watching. No, you don't. You don't brag about it. It's just I have an elephant memory and remember stupid stuff, and can specifically recall multiple years in the past of you basically being like, "Yeah, I'm not watching that game." When was the last really good one? Um, was it the first Georgia-Alabama one that went to overtime? Do you remember watching most of that? I didn't one? watch. I didn't watch all of that one. I saw. Did you I watch any of LSU, Clemson.
2: Um. I watched some of it. I watched some of every one of them. I have an intrigue in it. I want to act like I don't care. I just sort of take my uh, NBA playoffs uh, routine to it, where I like, you know what? I bet you if it if it's close in the fourth quarter, then you have my attention. But you have to earn it that way. And uh, they did on this last game. I mean, it turned out to be an okay game. I thought some people it was kind of funny on social media. Some people, I guess, were really dogging on the game for the first three quarters. And then some people were criticizing those people who dogged on the game. And I would say it was just one of those games that falls sort of in between. It was a pretty good game. It wasn't a classic. Good for Georgia. Um, and now that Georgia's won a national title, everybody can go to hating them, too, because they're Goliath just as much as Alabama is now.
0: I was one of those people who thought it was a pretty boring game up until the fourth quarter. Um, so I, I will – I'll accept that. I'll own that. There wasn't a whole lot to to enjoy. Um, by the way, for as critical as I've been about Scott Frost and the play calling inside the 20-yard line, Bill O'Brien was not really letting Bryce Young do anything when they got in and close and uh, kicking a lot of field goals inside the 20. You can't live that way. You can't field goal people to death.
2: Sounds like Vikings had coaching material to me.
0: Great. Bill O'Brien. I think I'd take him over Doug Peterson if you really want to get into that conversation, but I think we can spare the listeners and Michael Bruns, who also needs a coach as well. they the rarely ever talked about Denver Broncos or coachless. How do you feel about it, Bruns?
1: I think they've made an improvement on their coaching staff by going coachless, but that's oh just been, um, Wow. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. They're gonna make a bad hire. They're gonna draft a bad quarterback, and the beat goes on. You've seen him hoist a, a Lombardi, so uh, I don't
0: feel bad for you at all.
1: That's several Lombardis.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. Yeah, we don't feel do anything for you at all. All right. Let's uh, let's dive into what's been happening with Nebraska football over the last week. The last time we spoke. Nebraska didn't have its quarterback yet. They didn't have a wide receiver from LSU that was previously almost a five-star. And they didn't have a running back that none of us really knew existed. So let's just walk through some of these uh, some of these names right now. You weren't on our exciting 25, 30-minute podcast that we had on Saturday morning. I think because you were probably watching cartoons. But BC, what are your thoughts on Casey Thompson at this point in time?
2: I mean, I like it. I like, uh, I think if you look at what he did at Texas, uh, he came out of the gates roaring last year, um, before the thumb injury. And I think the thumb injury is legit. I know some people kind of, when they hear a Husker reporter say that they're like, okay, you're already setting up the storyline and making this guy out to be better than he is. I don't want to do that, but I, you know, there were some photographs that showed his hand and that, that looked like a rough deal to try to play quarterback through half a season with. So um, before that injury, he was really good. Uh 24 touchdowns has been oft reported. Of course, he has had nine interceptions in 10 games. So you'd like to see maybe that number dip a little bit, had six in the last six games, not going to be as much of a runner, of course, uh, but he did run for 3000 yards in high school uh, down in Oklahoma. So He's a guy who can, he can move a little bit. And, uh, I, I like that he's been through the whole deal of, you know, having been the man at a big time program and you have to deal with those questions and being in the fishbowl. I
0: think there's some worth to that. Uh, so I, I mean, we, we talked a lot about Casey Thompson, so I don't want to spend a lot of time there because there've been two other additions. Um, Let's go to Trey Palmer. So this was someone, Nebraska, got a commitment from, I believe, on Saturday. On uh, Saturday during the day, he was expected to come out and visit Nebraska uh, this upcoming weekend. Now it basically just appears he's going to be out here. He's going to visit. He's going to stay. He's going to be a part of this program. I've talked to a couple different people that follow LSU pretty closely they were really enamored with the skill set of Trey Palmer. Bruns. what do we know about Trey Palmer at this point in time, and, and how do you kind of look at projecting him in Nebraska's wide receiver picture?
1: It's an interesting get because, you know, the last couple recruiting classes, <clears throat> Nebraska's wide receiver room kind of underwent like a transition from kind of smaller-bodied guys like J.D. Spielman to – big hulking guys like, you know, Omar Manning. I mean, these guys are 6'3", 6'4". And, you know, then you have Trey Palmer that's a little bit more of a – not a slider guy, but he he doesn't kind of fit that big-bodied mold. He's got legit track speed, the type of guy that, you know, you would assume would be able to take the top off of a defense. Plus, you're also getting the added benefit of a guy that has been a a special team's – uh, Standout at LSU as you're kind of trying to overhaul that group, so it, it's a it's a good get. I mean, I, I think you you need to continue to add competition and, and different kind of looks to that room as you are, are undergoing this offensive change. And you know, Mickey Joseph, I think, has shown that you know he he's able to build relationships with guys that are really impactful. And, and as much as people want to say, you know, you commit to a school and not a coach. I mean, these guys are committing to Mickey Joseph and the situation right now in Nebraska and the opportunity there. So, um, you know, I, I think it makes that that marriage makes a lot of sense. And, you know, they had a bonus of having him on campus for the spring and, and kind of getting used to whatever this offense is going to look like. I think it's a good pickup.
0: BC, you got thoughts?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think if we're,
2: uh, adding portal guys to our super sixes. I we haven't discussed this, so I don't want to talk out of turn. But if you were to add them to the super six list this year, I think I'd put Trey Palmer on my list because, um, I think he immediately becomes the favorite as the return man because of what Brunt said. He, as a freshman, he took one back to the house as a punt returner, he's taken one back to the house as a kick returner. That's some more stuff than I've seen, you know, from Nebraska special teams for the most part and uh, had a pretty good numbers year last this past fall, too. And 340 yards or whatever it is receiving that he had is nothing to sneeze at. You have to think that the background knowledge he has of how Mickey Joseph likes to do things also gives him at least a head in front of the competition as far as you know winning a spot on the two deep, if not one of the lead spots. So um, I would definitely buy stock in him because I think Mickey Joseph, He knows exactly what he's getting. He's the one guy he knows, you know, so it, it's a big advantage for him.
0: Yeah. I, one, I think we will be having a change in how the super six works. We'll get the committee together. We'll have that discussion, but, uh, we'll, we'll see there Two, The Trey Palmer thing. I think it's equally as important with the special teams because that's a guy that you can get value out of as a return man. Um, as it is with, with what he kind of does to that wide receiver room. Like I think one of the challenges that Mickey Joseph is going to have is that he had built a level of expectation that was accepted down in Baton Rouge of this is how we're going to do it. This is a work that you're going to put in. Here's the end result of what I can show you. You got guys like Jamar Chase and, and Justin Jefferson and, and Terrence Marshall and others that are in the NFL at Nebraska, you know, you have all those stories, but those guys don't have the the background that goes with it. They don't have the, the inherited already sort of the work that p- gets put in. Trey Palmer understands what Mickey Joseph wants. Trey Palmer is probably going to become a leader in that room, whether he knows it or not. Uh, could be by example, could be vocal. I don't know what um, type of leader he would be if he wants to be one, but, he's going to basically be used a lot by Mickey Joseph to kind of show these guys, like, this is how I want stuff done. This is the attitude that you got to have. This is the work that's necessary. I mean, Joseph had that tweet on Sunday. I think it was about, you know, Stanley Morgan had a play on special teams for the Bengals. And he basically said, I promise you, my wide receivers are going to be playing special teams if they're going to be in this room. I mean, that's kind of like a, a gauntlet thrown down to, to guys in that room. So I, I think Trey Palmer is going to have a lot of value for a lot of different reasons. Um, but some of it might simply be just to motivate guys like Omar Manning and Xavier Betts and Oliver Martin and Will Nixon and guys like that, that like, look, I mean, if, if you're not ready to work, I got a guy who did it here down at LSU. He's going to do it up here for me. You know, this is what you got to try to do to, in order to play. And so, I I think that's going to be pretty valuable for him Um, and whether Trey Palmer can replace Samari Toure's production, I'm pretty skeptical of, but what he can do in terms of that room, I think is pretty important. All right. Moving down the list. Let's see. Running back Nebraska added DeAndre John or DeAndre Jackson on Tuesday this happened Tuesday morning. This was uh, this one is left field for me. I mean, I remember this name when Nebraska, I believe, offered him as a high school player, but I don't know that they they had him in for an unofficial visit. I want to say uh, from that point forward, I don't know how far they were on the radar there with DeAndre Jackson. He hasn't played much at Texas A and M. What have you guys kind of heard about him? And and really, what does this mean for a running back room that is? Uh, as I'm sure we're about to discuss, completely wide open right now.
1: Yeah, kind of talking to some people at A&M um, that cover A&M, you know, they, he didn't really factor in their rotation a ton. Um, you know, he was a guy – you kind of follow his recruiting process. You mentioned that Nebraska was involved. Nebraska and Tennessee were two teams that were kind of pushing for him late. Um, he'd been committed to Auburn at one point early in his um, recruitment – uh, finished his high school career. It's in it's Stevenson high school in Georgia, which is kind of a powerhouse program down there, but ends up at A&M. I mean, you look at what Texas A&M has in the running back room, you know, it's, it's not something that you should hang your head about that you were kind of caught in the wash there on, on the depth chart. I mean, they've got three guys in that, that depth chart that are legit, like, you know, first couple day NFL guys. So, uh, with, with Jackson, he's a little bit of a different back. He's about, I think we listed him at 5'11, around 220, 215, somewhere in there. And just a guy that, that hasn't gotten an opportunity yet. And, and it's, I, I feel like his story is somewhat similar to a lot of the guys in, in Nebraska's running back room where, you know, you you, didn't, you you really haven't gotten to see what guys can do. Um, because it was just so haphazardly done last year with rotations and everything else so the room is full really full we don't have a running backs coach publicly yet and you know kind of sussing out how everything's going to go is going to be kind of interesting over the next couple weeks as Nebraska you know kind of puts the finishing touches on its recruiting class and continues to dig in the portal for running backs I mean it it feels like there's probably going to be some guys on the way out, but we don't know who those guys are yet. And we also have guys in that room that, you know, frankly, you haven't gotten a good enough look at just because, like I said, it just seemed like last year, the the way things were handled, it was all over the place and kind of has been really for the last couple of seasons in terms terms of rotations.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think, it's not surprising that they added another guy because I think you like at least six scholarship guys in that room, and they had five. And one of those is Emmett Johnson, who's not going to be here. He's not enrolled early, so he's not arriving till May. Um, so it makes sense from a number standpoint. It also, I'm not, I don't know anybody specifically, but it does make me wonder, you know, if if there's thoughts about you're thinking ahead of possible subtractions. It's a position where there always is, you know, it's a one of those where you're going to bring in a guy or two every off season. And eventually whether it happens pre spring or post spring, you'll lose a guy or two. And so as we look at the numbers, you have to consider that too. Um, You know, I don't know. You wonder like what's in the mind right now of like Marquis step and Yant and some of these guys, Um, who had sort of interesting, you know, Yant was very up and down, had some great moments, fans loved him, and um, had some off-the-field stuff that got in the way. And then Step really sort of disappeared, you know, and he was supposed to be the big deal around here. Did the injury impact him last season maybe somewhat, and we didn't see fully what he can do? I don't know. Um, I'm still big on the Ramir train until proven otherwise, and I know everybody's trying to push him out, but I know Mark Whipple likes him. And I think if Ramir can stay healthy, he's gonna be a tough guy to to knock off because he can do a lot of different stuff well, but we'll see.
0: The Ramirez train. Brunster. are you on a train?
1: Uh, I'm I'm kind of standing at the station watching everything go by right now. I, I'm I'm got I've got my my nineteen forties hat on, a couple bags under my arms, and I'm just waiting to to see waiting to see how many more trains get on the track. Cause I, I feel yeah. like There's there's gonna be some shuffling trains here.
0: I mean, if we're sticking with this analogy, I feel like I'm the (laughs) out-of-town tourist who's really trying to assess the map and doesn't quite (laughs) know like the route that he needs to take. So he doesn't really want to get on any one single train because he's pretty sure it's gonna take at least two more stops and one changeover to then get to the direction he needs to be going. Like that's that's sort of where I'm at. So I. I'm with Bruns, like neither one of us are getting on a train. BC is just riding the Ramir Johnson train.
2: Oh, well, well, I I do think you need to connect to another train along those route. (laughs) Like there's going to have to be at least two train rides to make it a successful trip. And so, uh, yeah, they need another train. Ramir can be one of the trains, so I'm okay with that. But if you f- you need to find a train that's as good or better than him, and then you've really got something. Until they have that, they don't have enough. I'll
0: say that. Brunce, are you the only one here that's actually been on, like, a passenger train? Uh, or maybe BC has in Europe. I don't know. Did, have you ever done the yes. passenger train thing? Yeah, I've Europe. been on a train once. Yeah. And, and the
2: zoo train, of course. Mm,
0: yeah, I... Well, I don't know if I count that one all the same, but, uh, all right, let's, uh, let's hit on a few guys that are going to be visiting this weekend, uh, we able to confirm a few different names. Like I said, I believe that both Palmer and Jackson were expected to visit, but they're committed, uh, school starts on Monday, the 18th, I believe. So they could be around this weekend regardless. Um, so they're going to be there uh chubba purdy another nebraska quarterback option which took an interesting change oklahoma offered him last week so we'll have to keep an eye out on that one as well anthony grant a running back from new mexico military institute which i believe is where zach bowman played football before coming to nebraska that's about the only reason i am familiar with new mexico military institute and then uh, Anthony Grant is another running back, so we'll get into that a little bit. And then Javier Morton, a defensive back out of Georgia, that was part of the 2020 class, didn't end up signing with anybody, but was committed to Alabama for a long time. He is now at Garden City Community College. He is coming out this weekend as well. So variety of different players, different positions. Kind of what are the and there's there's more visitors too. We just haven't been able to confirm all of them, and they'll the list changes. Um, so I don't think anything's been locked down quite yet. What, what are you guys kind of looking at here? This last kind of weekend before school starts kind of feels like the last real opportunity Nebraska has to add some of these guys before spring football gets underway. What, what are you sort of looking for Nebraska to accomplish here? If anything, Brooks.
1: Uh, I mean, I wouldn't mind a, a body or two on the the lines. I mean, I, the last You know, week or so, it's been very much offense and skill position focused in the portal. Um, But, I I mean, I think there's still an opportunity for more depth additions on the offensive line. I mean, I I think you look at what Nebraska's got coming back on the defensive line, I don't think it would be the worst idea to look at, you know, what you can add there potentially. Yeah, I, and you know it's interesting though too i mean there's still guys entering the portal like right this week like there there were a number of alabama players that entered the portal you're seeing some other names that you know of teams whose seasons have been done for a while who are entering the portal and, and pretty good names too so i i don't know i mean it's it's we're recording this on wednesday afternoon i mean if a guy enters the portal in the next 24 hours that i mean that completely shifts. What this weekend might look like too and realistically for nebraska you actually don't have to have a guy on campus until the 24th which is the last day to enroll for the semester so there's still a little bit of a uh i guess if we're going with with travel metaphors there's a little bit of a runway there still to get guys in if you need to
0: planes the name of this podcast going to be husker 24 7 podcast planes trains and automobiles is that what we're going with here
1: I, I was just looking there there's another four-star guy from USC who just entered the portal as well so it's uh it continues to spin
0: portal madness catch the fever
2: yeah I think Brunst is onto the right track there though and also I mean the thing to remember is you don't necessarily have to to get it all right now like I mean there's gonna be the this is just a phase. This is one phase of it, and then there's going to be the post spring summer phase of portaling. And so, you know, a lot of guys are at different schools who haven't entered now, who are sort of on the fence. I'm not just talking about Nebraska, but everywhere. They're going to go through spring ball, and they're going to see where they stack up. You know, like like has been a, a, an annual thing for a long time. And so, and there's going to be a lot more options. But I I wish they could add. Um, that sort of proven D lineman um, still from the portal. I, 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 I am, I'm kind of, I'm a little worried about the D line on paper. Um, I know they got a lot of young guys that people are excited about, and I know they're sort of shifting sort of how they play guys. And a lot of those outside linebackers you have to consider as part of the defensive line, but you know, with, with uh, Damian Daniels leaving and Deandre Thomas for sure gone now, Uh, I would love one like 22 year old guy who's been through, who's been through some battles. If you could find him, of course, everybody wants that guy. No
0: doubt about it. No doubt about it. So I I'm with you guys. I think Nebraska needs to to continue to try to get better in the trenches. I think they've done a nice job filling out around Casey Thompson a little bit with Trey Palmer and Deandre Jackson, Uh, Anthony Grant, Really intrigues me. That was a Florida State bounce back. Who ended up at at uh, New Mexico Military Institute? Or uh, he had a monster year. There's some shades of some some Dedrick Mills there uh, with what he was able to do to help kind of take that team to go win the national title. And uh, uh, the 1800 yards or 1700 yards that he put up and 18 touchdowns to do that. Um, I again that goes back into that kind of running back picture, which might be better better for us to discuss at another time since I don't know we're going to have any real clarity there. Um, but yeah, it, it feels like there's just so many moving pieces that when we talk next week at this time, it's going to be, you know, there, there could be some new targets, you know, that, that really sort of emerge at that point. All right, let's take a break. When we'll come back, we're going to get into Nebraska. Now has a special teams coordinator. So all their special teams issues should be solved. They have a new defensive line coach, but he's an old defensive line coach. They still need a running backs coach, so we'll get into all of those things, what that kind of means for the outlook. Uh, And maybe, just maybe, we'll discuss some Nebraska basketball as well. So stick around on the Husker 24-7 podcast. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Great. We are back. I again am still Mike Schaefer, joined by Brian Christopherson and Michael Bruns here on the Husker 24 7 podcast. All right. Bill Bush announced special teams coordinator. Not a big surprise. Kind of has been angling this direction for a little while and was made much easier when Tony Tuioti left to take the Oregon defensive line job. What, what stands out to you most about Bill Bush, Brian? I know that you had an opportunity to cover him a little bit when he was with uh, Bill Callahan's staff. Um, And then certainly, you know, you, you, as everyone is are aware of kind of the career and, and where he's bounced around and and sort of what follows him as a recruiter. So what stands out to you about Bill Bush? as nebraska's special teams coordinator
2: i mean the word on him has always been he's just a relentless worker like you a guy who you know is always gonna he's gonna punch the clock early and he's gonna he's gonna be a good recruiter um i think nebraska fans have you know they they saw that during the callahan era and they've already seen it you know when he's been in the program again i think um A good example of how detailed he is as a recruiter comes to some of the specialists they've added, like, uh, you know, like the kicker out of Furman, Timmy Bleak Road. Um, His name popped up in the portal and there were other guys involved. It wasn't just Bill Bush. I think guys like Trent Mossbrucker and other people behind the scenes do a really good job with this, but within an hour, um, half hour, maybe Bleak Road had been contacted by Nebraska after he was in the portal. They, they like had targeted him, They, and they call, they contacted him, They said, we've seen all your film. We like it all. I mean, Nebraska had done a lot of research on this kicker out of Furman who none of us know about and uh, had him as, as, as like a lead guy for that position. Then Brian Bushini, same thing at Montana. Um, you know, Bush visited bleak road twice. He was involved in the conversations heavily with Bushini when he decided you know, uh, he's been involved with some of these Louisiana kids that Mickey Joseph's, you know, been after, too. Uh, so I think it opens up a lot of avenues. And you know that um, if he's recruiting a guy, he's going to give Nebraska a shot. And he's had some good special teams units, too. So um, you just hope uh, you hope he can find the right details and get guys He's got to get players to really be excited about playing special teams and understand, like, this has cost this program games after games for years, guys. Um, let, let's be the group that turns it around. You can be as much a difference covering a punt as you can being a starting wide receiver on this team, and he's got to get guys believing
1: that and wanting to do that. It seems like, there, there's, like a, there's like a couple of ways, I think, that you can you know turn things around on special teams. I mean, personnel is huge just basically picking the guy that can punt it where he's supposed to. I mean, that, that, that's significant. I mean, the Demorne Pearson L coming on board, that was significant. Um, you know, there's certainly the, the scheme portion of it that Nebraska needs help with too uh, based on kind of how things went in that Iowa game to end the season. But I think Brian's right to where the thing that Bill Bush could bring and we'll see if, if this translates because when he was at Nebraska before, I mean, Nebraska was really good at special teams and they were really aggressive with blocking punts and they kind of took on this attitude of kind of forcing the issue on special teams. And it's felt like the last couple of seasons that the, the kind of the failures of Nebraska special teams have kind of like worked their way into the walls. Like, it's, it's gotten to the point where it feels like when Nebraska goes out there to punt or kick off or whatever, the, the kind of thought in the back of the mind is like, let's just not screw this up. Like how can we keep from being Kevin Malone, bringing the pot of chili into the office on this play? Like that, that's how it's felt. And I think you need a coach who can, shift that thinking, shift that focus. And, and, you know, Bill Bush has done that in the past and we'll see if he's able to do that with this group, but they have personnel that they feel good about. They've obviously made a concerted effort to go out and find these guys and and did so very quickly in December. But I think the next step this spring is how do you shift that focus of, you know, making special teams, a difference maker that works in your favor rather than just hoping that it doesn't screw things up for you. Cause I think that's kind of where it's
0: at right now. Yeah. I mean, they, I just check. In. Oh, sorry. Um, oh, no, go ahead. I, I was just going to say real quickly, did you understand the chili reference?
2: Yeah. Okay. I, I had seen that one recently. All right. That Look, episode. At that. Look at that. We got references for all ages here. Okay. You can go ahead. So. I like park. I like parks and rec better than the office.
0: Is that yeah, controversial? I think, I think most decent people do.
2: Yeah. I don't know what Brunt, I can't tell if Brunt's there uh, with his look, he's giving
1: never seen it. Wow. Never It'd seen parks and rec. I watched the office, never parks and rec.
2: Parks and rec would be up your alley. No, Brunt's, Brunt's hit it really well. I think that's exactly what it's been. It's like, Hey, can, can Nebraska's special teams break even has been like the hope, you know, and you, you have to, you have to be beyond that. So that's all Brunson. Uh,
0: Brunson got it covered it. Well. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the big thing that these coaches can help bring in addition to maybe some fresh, fresh words and a fresh voice to, to some ears that were maybe tuning some things out is an attitude. And, and if Bill Bush can instill that attitude and Mickey Joseph, like I said, with his tweet about, guaranteeing his wide receivers are going to be playing special teams. I mean, I think that kind of attitude seems like it had been missing um, from this program for a little bit. So if that can return that alone can help things in that regard. Okay. Mike Dawson, now is your defensive line coach. the Next piece to the puzzle that we kind of all expected after Tony Tuioti uh, had left to go to Oregon. Mike Dawson was a defensive line coach at UCF with Scott Ross for two years and then was the defensive line coach for Nebraska in 2018. I Did they even name him as defensive line coach, or is he just like pass rushers coach with – he'll also oversee interior defensive line? Like, it's like they didn't put a title on it, right?
1: I assume that they were just going to have Mike Dawson, as loud as he talks, just kind of, you know, talk, talk, and hit both groups at the same time. Is that not how this is going to work?
0: I think it could work. I think it could work. So he's uh, he's in a familiar role for himself. I I mean I don't know that there's a lot there to kind of break down and dissect. I do feel like Tony Tulio got a lot out of his defensive line across three years, but I also think it's important to acknowledge guys got to get older for him during that run. And so uh, you know Mike Dawson gets a couple of years and, and he's able to, to see what an older, stronger Ty Robinson and Nash Huttmacher and guys like that can do, um, that can be really helpful for him as well. They're, I I do – BC said this in the last – you know, before we went to break. I also feel like they're missing maybe one more defensive lineman. Like, I, I'd feel better if I knew that Jordan Riley was going to provide anything, um, but I don't. I don't know what Mosai Newsom is exactly at this point. Nash Hutmacher played a little bit against Wisconsin. And I think there's a lot of excitement about him in that program, but I don't, I don't have a strong feeling on him yet. I just think that it, they could really have used uh, one defensive lineman out of the portal and maybe they can still find that, but it, it does feel a little bit like they're going to have to get some more uh, from somebody and maybe that could be a Ruquan Buckley. You know, he was an early enrollee last year, went through the spring, uh, didn't do anything this fall, but could be someone that maybe he's ready to go. This time around, I, I do think that Mike Dawson's going to have a little bit of a different challenge this time as a defensive line coach than when he inherited that group in 2018.
2: Yeah, I mean the the one thing you'd have to say about Mike Dawson is with his position group that he was, you know, labeled with last year. I think Caleb Tanner and Garrett Nelson got better. Like I, yeah. you know, we talk about Tuioti um, developing guys, and I think that's fair and. I, I could never quite tell with Tuioti the recruiter. I thought he was an okay recruiter, but it, it was sort of like it, it's incomplete. Like, I don't know exactly how to grade him as a recruiter at Nebraska. Um, I think Mike Dawson's been a pretty good recruiter with some guys in the Northeast. And I think uh, what he how he connected with Caleb Tanner is probably your best specific case study of a guy who he worked with last year where you're like, yeah, I definitely saw him making a jump. And that encourages me that he can do that with these other guys. So by the way, I mean, we expected, I think, Caleb Tanner to come back, but he sort of kind of made it a social media official, which seems to be the Would you like you know, to read
0: that tweet, BC? <laughs> I
2: don't I don't have it in front of me, but he said the the, the windows were going to be tinted this year, I believe. And our podcasts need that type of mindset. We need windows tinted type podcasts. I think that's a good thing. Not not possible, right. but I think so. I like it. I think Caleb I Caleb though coming back's a huge deal because uh I expected it, but I, I felt like he had some plays behind the line of scrimmage that were good, but you felt like he was maybe just uh a couple inches away on a few plays from from having from taking that next step. So if he can if he can find that in twenty two, he'd be an example of a guy who I think some people sort of thought, well, two or three years into the program, he is who he is, you know, kind of one of those stories, like he's gone as far as he's going to go. And I think he proved this last year. That's not the case with him, which you don't always see anymore in college football.
1: Bruns. I I think BC hit on it. I mean, I, I I don't, Caleb Tanner is probably the most interesting guy from that group. I, I mean, I, and, you know, I, I think Dawson's work with him was important. I think, you know, you, I worry about depth along the defensive line. You mentioned Jordan Riley. I mean, he was a guy that I went back last fall during camp and coaches were talking about, you know, this is an NFL-type NFL body, a guy that has that kind of potential, and you only saw him in, like, very obvious goal line situations. So I – I think, you know, Mike Dawson is going to have a little bit of work to do, um, in in developing guys on that front and, and Jalen Weaver and those guys that are are a little bit younger or unproven in the program. So, um, you know, it's, it was kind of a formality. It's just another kind of add on to the job title, but I think he's going to have a really important spring if you want the needle to keep pointing up on Nebraska's defense, because, if you take a step back on that front seven, um, you know, especially in that front group, I, I, I think that's, uh, that, that's going to be tough for the defense.
0: All right. Uh, still no running backs coach. Do we have a name? Do we have a small group? Do we have a big group? Is it like the running back room itself? And we're all going to take different trains. What do you think? that's <laughs>
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it's, we're still waiting. Um, you know, the, I guess kind of wrench in the plans, if it is considered a wrench, you know, you had what seven job openings in the NFL and the subsequent fallout with that, that, that might've kind of changed the conversation a little bit. Um, you know, the, the names that are out there, are, you know, Florida's Greg Knox, formerly of Florida, um, Brian Applewhite at, at TCU, Um, who was there previously you had the offer to a TCU running back commit who's very close with apple white which probably raised the eyebrows a little bit but you know as we stand now I mean that's a pretty um important piece to this puzzle especially given like we talked about in the first segment about the offers that are going out to running backs and trying to add more to that group so um you know, small group potentially expanded with, with uh, an interview or two uh, with NFL guys, but um, you know, nothing, nothing that, uh, you know, I would say is certain as of two o'clock on Wednesday.
2: Yeah. I don't know for sure either, but I've got sort of a, a radio guy question, I think. And I say that with all love Um, at that running back spot, would you, if you had one where the needle went higher on one particular skill set, whether the coach was a developer or a recruiter, which which does Nebraska need the most right now within, within the layout of this staff that you don't know all the other pieces to? Do they need a developer or a recruiter more than one more than the other at this point?
0: I would think they need a developer. Um, I think that the staff between Sean Becton, Mickey Joseph, now Bill Bush, uh, I think Mike Dawson is an asset for them in terms of recruiting. I think they have guys that can help open doors for them. Um, and I, I think that, you know, there's, there's always more running backs in a cycle um, than what you might think uh, in terms of getting somebody that can come in and be productive. It's getting someone that can get better that you, you know, someone that has a good feel for when to play guys, when to push things, how they kind of fit in that offense. Um, I just, I, I really think that you need someone who can develop some relationships there and then really kind of push these guys. Cause it didn't felt like anyone really got better at the running back position. And I'm not trying to take shots at Ryan held, um, but it, you know, Ramir Johnson got better because we got more opportunities to see him, but he's still pretty long way from being an all big 10 type running back, but that doesn't mean he can't help you. Uh, I just, I I would like to see some more development uh, from running backs from years to year, from year to year than really what we've seen in some time. I mean, it's honestly, uh, there was an argument on the message board about this, but really Nebraska hasn't recruited and developed that position particularly well now for close to a decade. Um, and so some of their issues stem directly from that. So I, I think if you can get someone in who can develop running backs and, and you know, that's going to that's gonna kind of take care of this, the rest of it. Because I think the recruiting aspect of it, I think Bill Bush and Mickey Joseph and Sean Becton, those guys can put you in contact or put you in a position to go get a running back. It's whether you have a coach that can make that guy go from pretty interesting to actually good on the field. We haven't seen Nebraska with one of those guys in a while.
2: And think about how murky it's been like every year of the frost era at that position throughout the season. Like, I mean, even the first year Ozigbo took off, but he wasn't the guy off the bat. He was like third or fourth, I think in the fall camp. Yeah. And uh, Greg Bell obviously decided to go and turned out pretty good that maybe that's more of a player thing, but um, like every year since then, uh, whether it was, you know, Diedrich Mills did have some injuries, which you have to add to the conversation, but, um, I think people would say he was sometimes underused. And uh, this last year was a clear example where, remember, all of last August, the talk was, we got to find that bell cow. Like, the, it was like, we're going to find that guy. It, and it felt like they were really determined to do it, too. They like trotted up a few guys the one day, like, these are the three guys who are the lead. And they got one of the guys who they didn't trot up, I think was Ramir Johnson who ended up being the top guy halfway through this season. Now, obviously there was the Gabe Irvin injury and all that, but I tell you what, it's just like, you couldn't, you can't set your watch to anything at that position. And that's what I think you're talking about too, is like, let's, let's get some clarity. Let's get some like definition when we're four weeks into the season, like this is what it looks like. And, you can have some trust that this is going to work with these three guys.
0: Yeah. I I feel like that's kind of been true for Nebraska at running back for a while. I mean, it was pretty unsettled in 50, basically since Samir Abdullah, like since you had an NFL guy, you basically went into every sort of off season, save for really 2020 because Mills was so good in the month of November, 2019. Um, really every other year it's kind of been like, well, who's the guy going to be? And then you got to go through spring ball and then you have the, the fall. And then as you kind of pointed out, like whoever was sort of predetermined how it finished the year was never that guy. And so um, it's kind of a weird deal all the way around. And running back.
1: Well, and, it, and rotationally too, I mean, you have like Marquis step coming in for like the final drive against Ohio state when he hasn't played for several games the very like kind of speaking in code for you know him saying he knows why he wasn't playing but you know didn't want to say and it it's you you saw guys and then like Marvin Scott was there and then he wasn't and then he was back and it's uh i don't know like it, it, every you know the the what's the old cliche about you if you don't have if you have two quarterbacks you don't have one i mean it, it's kind of felt that way at the running back spot where it's like if you're asking yourself if you're going to be able to find a bell cow or if it's going to be a rotation, I mean, you're, you're probably setting yourself up for, you know, a rotation or uh, air quotes writing the hot hand, which is another good cliche. Uh,
0: also, when you're searching for a bell cow and you don't realize that your bell cow is your quarterback, even though you like run the ball 35 percent of the time with him um, in every start of his career or more, uh it, it sometimes makes you wonder how like they're not able to see that but whatever
1: the bell cow was the bell cow is inside the building
0: yeah it's like somehow you can lose the bell cow inside the the cattle or something i, I don't know like the tree or the forest through the trees kind of thing i don't know how it works but is,
2: is it a dumb thought to think there could be a usefulness to the whole operation in not having a QB who's as much run oriented. Yes, I, I'm thinking yes. that's just, just a
0: crutch. I mean, it's not a dumb thought. I don't think that's a dumb thought okay. at all. I, I mean, so on one hand, I am very intrigued to see what Scott Frost in an offense looks like if he doesn't have to panic hit quarterback draw on third and seven inside the 20 yard line. Cause he's definitely afraid to throw the football there. On the other hand, they brought in a dual-threat quarterback who wasn't used much to run the ball, but I've been told repeatedly has the ability to run the ball pretty well. So maybe they just defaulted into that. So there's a lot of different routes that this could go. But I, I fully subscribe to the idea that to the detriment of both the player, Adrian Martinez, and the program, they leaned way too heavily on the quarterback run game, especially 2019 and 2020. That's my. That's
2: I wrote. My. He, I've written hesitantly that, um, you know, Casey Thompson isn't the runner Adrian is, and I don't think he is. But his uh, his numbers in high school. I mean, he 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 ran for three thousand some yeah. yards, so he can move a little bit. He so. can definitely
0: run. He's just been coached to be more of a uh, of a passer, which I think is good. I think that's really. Good. But we'll see. You know, it, everything is going to sort of hinge on like how. Mark Whipple and Scott Frost react the first time it's third and five and it's a critical need to get a first down situation because if it's third and five and it was Adrian Martinez, we had a pretty good idea of what was coming. Third and five and it's, you know, Casey Thompson. We don't know exactly what that's going to be, which excites me, uh, at least on some level, because, you know, you have to find the things that are exciting when Nebraska struggled uh, as a program for as long as they have uh okay do we want to talk about struggles and continue on with nebraska basketball or do we want to spare the people i'll leave it up to michael brooks
1: no we're talking basketball
0: all right the people are not spared.
1: if, if brian's having to, to go through to these games we're going to talk <laughs> nebraska basketball
0: they play better at home he's lucky he doesn't have to go to the road games that's where they look atrocious
1: It was a nice walk over the bridge, too.
2: They changed our parking spot. I'm not going to be a complainer here on the pod, but our parking spot's a little further away than it used to be, and at least it wasn't negative five degrees on uh, Tuesday night.
1: You're just leaning right into that north wind.
0: Yeah.
1: So, Illinois last night, again, Nebraska comes out guns blazing. Um, Then by the second media timeout is basically even after being up by 12. Um, what did you make out of that effort? And if I would have told you that Nebraska was, would, would basically be tied with Kofi Coburn sitting on the bench for the last two and a half minutes, would you have expected that Nebraska would have actually had a, a shot or to, to win that? Cause, cause everything Illinois did last night in the last two minutes was with Kofi Coburn sitting on the bench. I would have expected what happened
2: (laughs) just because you're, you're so trained. You're so trained to it. I think like right at right away, they hit a three ball and then Trent Frazier hits one a minute later to sort of put it away. Um, I mean, there's a difference. I mean, you got a guy like Trent Frazier who's been through the big 10 wars for three or four years, whatever. I mean, that's a guy who's just seasoned in those games and it was like, all right, it's time to ball four minutes left. Let's go get it. And uh, Illinois has those guys who have played together and expect to get it done. And even though uh, their big man was wasn't out there, um, you know they had another another big uh, pain who stepped up for them. And yeah, it's a it was a tough. I I can't knock the effort. I mean, you got to say of the four games since they've come back this January, the Rutgers one was really like disgusting. The other three games, I I would chalk it up to Nebraska putting in the work, but they just don't have it. They don't have the goods to, to go knock those teams off unless everything just lines up in a row. And, uh, you know, they actually did a good job of keeping Illinois from getting loose behind the arc last night. Illinois hit seven threes. They came in average in ten a game, so they brought that down a little. Uh, but when it, when it mattered uh, – you know they made the shots and then nebraska's offense sort of they gave away a possession in a key spot and i feel this is not going to be a popular take i feel a little bit bad for alonzo verge because i think he's sort of stuck in limbo like he's he's trying to take on a job that's maybe not exactly fit for him but they And Fred Hoiberg knows he sort of needs like the best of Alonzo Verge to even have a shot against some of the talent teams they're playing. So everything's kind of in limbo. Like Hoiberg knows he needs that Verge, even though he can sometimes make you pull your hair out. And Verge is sometimes doing stuff I don't think he's totally comfortable with. And I know people get mad because he's dribbling the ball so long and stuff like that, but um you know, Illinois was taking away everybody else. Brad Underwood said that in this post game. He's like, "We're going to make Verge handle the ball, and he, if he wanted to shoot it twenty-five times, go ahead." And so they were they were playing to that strategy to force to force it all on Verge. And that's that's <laughs> I don't know. Nebraska's in a tough spot. Derek Walker's playing great though, if I can say one positive. He's
1: playing his butt off it's the, the, the line from that game was interesting though, because if you look at the first half, you know, Nebraska comes out and just absolutely like blitzes Illinois out of the gates. They have that, the, the kind of middle section of the first half where they gave everything back and then going into the locker room, Nebraska plays excellent basketball for about a four or five minute stretch. And, that's just that's the maddening part about this team is that for very small concentrated portions of the game they can play well offensively they can make shots they can you know shoot good shots um, you actually got Bryce McGowan's going to the rim with a little bit of anger last night, which was good to see but it's how do you avoid the, the the stretches in between where you just play disinterested defense you take bad shots you give up transition opportunities and and just look like you want to be anywhere but you know on the court together and that's I can see why Fred Hoiberg's frustrated by that and I agree with Brian I mean it's probably not the take that people want to hear but I mean you you do need a You need some of Alonzo Verge being Alonzo Verge for this team to have a shot. It's just a matter of how close do you get up to that line without going over. Um, That's, you know, kind of where Nebraska's at right now. It's just a very thin margin.
0: Well, where Nebraska's at is they haven't recruited a point guard for two straight seasons. So they kind of have created their own issue in that effect. I mean, they don't have a point guard on this roster. That was... I don't know if it was by design, but, you know, it wasn't like Verge was someone they added in March of last year. They got him in what, July?
1: Yeah. He basically like, committed.
0: To up. So I don't know what the plan was at point guard before they got him, but that kind of fascinates me too. Uh, and I don't even think that, you know, I don't even think that he's one of the larger issues for them. I mean, they're just, they're not, a team that does little things particularly well, I don't think that they lack effort. Like I, I think that they're certainly trying. Um, so I, I wouldn't go down that route or that conversation, but it's just simple stuff. Like they, they have guys who don't bother to box anybody out. They don't check bodies. They don't look, but the, a shot goes up and they sort of just turn their shoulders to the rim and jump straight in the air. Like, congratulations, you're going to get out-rebounded by 15 against every other team in this conference with that attitude. But that's what they do. Like, that's everybody but Derek Walker. And that, you know, that's not a new thing that's been a problem for him for several years now, but that's just where it is. Um, yeah, it, it should have come as no surprise to anyone that, whether it was Ohio State or Illinois, when it came down to crunch time, Nebraska doesn't rebound well. They don't shoot well. So it wasn't like they were going to get off great shots or, you know, create these great looks. Like I honestly don't think they're going to win a game if they're up by three points and there's two minutes left in the game. Like they just don't do any of the stuff necessary to put a team away. Like I, I think they have to be up by 10 going into the final four minutes. If they're going to win a big 10 game this year, that's really how it feels to me. And they have the ability to, to beat somebody that way. Um, but I just, they can't close games because they just don't do any of the stuff necessary to close games. I
2: don't I don't know that it will i I sent this to Bruns last night in text. I don't know if Brad Underwood meant this as a direct shot. I actually don't think he did, but it it raised the eyebrows in the room when he said, he was talking about Nebraska. He said they've got a special freshman. Bryce is special but for the most part you don't win big games with freshmen you win with veterans who don't panic and play in the moment and we've got a couple of those dot 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 we're not a one and done program that isn't us we're a development program we recruit to that piece and uh I don't know it was one of those where I, you you felt like you, if, if he wasn't taking a shot, it was at least an interesting comment about the exact thing he just played, you know, and sort of how their roster has been constructed this year. It feels like I'll be. But it's
0: interesting because he went to, and I don't know, Bruns. Did you watch the the post game uh, last night?
1: No, uh, I did not.
0: So after the game, like they're interviewing Brad Underwood on the court. And like he just wouldn't stop praising how good he thought this Nebraska team was and how much of a concern he had coming into this matchup and everything. And it's just like, I don't, I don't know if I believe any of this, but it's funny that he apparently had that comment because he just like wouldn't stop raving about uh this team. And it's like they're six and whatever, like they're not good. I don't know what you're you're looking at here. He he also loves Derek Walker, but I think that's probably true of most big 10 coaches. Uh, Derek Walker has played some really good basketball here as of late. I know BC said that earlier. I just want to reiterate. And it could have
2: been just Brad Underwood's way of saying, you know, give, you know, trying to actually be nice and saying Nebraska's roster needs some time. I think the problem around here is not everybody necessarily thinks this roster is going to stay. It's not like a roster. You, you feel like real strongly is going to, all the pieces are sticking together or anything like that. So um, I don't, I didn't know what to make of it, but uh, he did say some complimentary things as well about Nebraska, but yeah, that was a little bit interesting.
1: The the thing to watch over the next week though, is you, you likely will get Trey McGowan's back on the floor. Definitely
0: think that'll help.
1: I'm eager to see what that does just from a attitude perspective. I mean, he's the alpha dog in that locker room. Um, I think his loss has been felt late in games, um, not just from what he does from, you know, from a skill perspective, but also just, um, you know, being in guys' faces a little bit, effort, that kind of thing. So I I think getting him back will be important. I don't know, you know, I'm I'm sure there's going to be rust to shake off there for him, but I I think just having him back on the floor and in the mix is going to be really important for a team that at times looks like it needs a kick in the pants.
0: All right. Uh, unless you guys have anything else you want to add, and I think, I think I will go ahead and make this decree. Next week, we're gonna we're gonna bring back sock talk. So BC, start thinking about it a little bit. You get a week to prepare, and we're gonna we're gonna ask you for some off season sock outlooks on what you've seen so far in the Big Ten. So uh, just a just a heads up. Little, that'll give you a little bit of time. You can All think right. Of it. All
1: uh, right. I'll do some, uh, everyone some else prep work
0: spend for time at Husker 24 7 this weekend. Nebraska's going to have visitors in. There's plenty of stuff going on. Nebraska basketball plays again. When? Friday at Purdue. There you go. <laughs> <It> gets <laughs> easier. Get top five team on the road. This can't go poorly for them. And then they get Indiana at home on Monday. Uh, so a, um, a Hoosier State basketball weekend for Nebraska. Uh, anything else you guys want to add? No, I'm out of gas. Yeah. They don't want to talk to you anymore. Neither do I. We will be back next week with another Husker 24, seven podcast. Thanks for sticking around.